church. My name is Jonathan. I'm the worship pastor here, if you don't know me already. But uh, I want to just say welcome to you guys. We are starting, as you can see, a brand new series. And we've entitled it, Anxious for Nothing. And um, the reason why we're talking about this today is because we realize that worry and overwhelm and just feeling oppressed and weighed down is something that is just part of what's going on today in our society. And so we want to talk about it. We want to use these, these next three weeks to go to Scripture and ask God to calm our anxieties as we cast our cares upon Him, upon Jesus Christ who bore our sin, who carried our sorrows. And so that's where we're going in these next few weeks. We're, we're going to be blessed by God's word. And um, we just pray that uh, these next few weeks can really touch our hearts and meet us where we're at. Why don't we um, just begin with a word of prayer and just ask God to really just bless this series, bless our time together and uh, teach us and lead us over these next few weeks. Father, we're thankful we can be here. We pray, God, that you would use your word in a mighty, powerful way. God, that as we go to it, we might be changed. Lord, that you'd fix our eyes upon you, Jesus, and that we'd find our strength and our hope each day in you. We love you, and we're thankful, God, that we can be here in this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you just turn to your neighbor a second and tell them one thing. Tell them, the Lord is near. That might be a little weird. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. As you just heard from, from these, these words from Philippians chapter 4, we see that the Lord is near to us. And that's the way that I want to open our series this week. We're just going to the Word of God, to Philippians chapter 4. And um, if you're in a small group, we've actually put out the challenge to memorize this portion of Scripture. And we want to have it be a part of our service for the next three weeks. So if you have your Bibles and um, you want to turn there with me, um, we're going to go to Philippians chapter 4 and read these words together. Because I think that they are going to be a blessing to our souls as we cast our cares upon our Savior. It says this. This is written by a man who was a pastor. His name was Paul. And instead of coming to a city named Rome as a pastor, he came to the city as a prisoner. And he could have been disappointed. He could have been anxious. He could have been overwhelmed. But he penned these words from prison, chained to a Roman guard. And he said this to us. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If there is any ex anything of excellence, anything worthy of praise, think of these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Pray that God's word would be a blessing to us as a church each day and empower us to have peace 
not only in Christ, but as we speak his truth over us. So we're going to get started with that. And if you're in a small group, that challenge is out to you. And you don't even have to be a small group to take that challenge. Memorize these words. Pour the truth of scripture on your hearts. And I'll, I'll leave you with that. We are going to be jumping into the book of 1 Kings today. And um, and this first message, as we talk about being anxious for nothing, deals with an Old Testament character named Elijah. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn over to 1 Kings chapter 19. I invite you to go there with me. Um, before we get into the text, I just want to lay some of the groundwork of why we're in this series. I was doing a little bit of study um, just in relation to anxiety in our culture today and came across a number of very troubling things um, that, that are going on in society. And I, I don't even have to explain it to you because you probably already feel it. But we are really battling with this in our culture today, aren't we? First thing I want you to know is um, there is a pastor by the name of, name of James Emery White. If you have a chance, why don't you check out his book on Generation Z. This is the generation that is currently in high school and in college and is just entering our workforce today. And some of you guys are here with us. We, the conversation for the longest time has been all about millennials and we can knock on millennials. But I guarantee you what's going to happen in the future is people are going to start knocking on Generation Z. Okay, so just get ready, guys. <laughs> One thing that, that James Emery White said about Generation Z is that while there are so many positive and encouraging things that we know about Generation Z, how, how, how they, are, they are just so engaged with purpose and, and they want their life to have meaning, while, while they are so engaged with this, one thing that we, we know about this generation is they are the most anxious generation that there has been. The most anxious generation that there has been. In fact, in a Wall Street Journal article last week that was published, last Wednesday I was reading this, uh, there was an article entitled, The Most Anxious Generation Goes to Work. And these are the statistics that they pulled up on Generation Z, Millennials, um, the Gen X, Boomers, and those that are 70 years old and older. I don't know why they didn't call you something. What is your generation? Wow, that's kind of lame, Wall Street Journal. <laughs> but what they said about Generation Z is this. They asked them, um, how many of you have felt anxious or nervous over the course of this last month? And the results were 54% of Generation Z responded Yes, we felt anxious or nervous in this last month. And um, the, the whole point of the article was, was to help those that are employers realize what this youngest generation is going through as they enter into the workforce and how they can encourage and engage them in, in their jobs. They've got a lot coming at them. And uh, I think ever since 2009, when the iPhone came into existence, We've been having dings and rings and all kinds of messages come right where we're at. See, work doesn't, doesn't, we don't go to work anymore. Work comes to us, right? And so in a lot of sense, we never shut off. And this is something that generations are feeling right now. And so 54% of, of uh, Gen Z felt anxious. Uh, it, it went down to 40% of millennials and, and it keeps on going down from there. I guess you older folks don't have as much to be anxious about or you've learned some things or two over the course of your life. But the national average is 34. And so we can see that there is a definite problem in our society going on. 
Um, and uh, I don't even have to tell you, like I said before, we feel it, don't we? We feel it. If you were to ask me, have you felt anxious or overwhelmed in this last month? I would have been part of that 54%. I would have said, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did get overwhelmed this past week. I was looking ahead toward Easter. And as a worship pastor, you know what Easter means, right? It means like lots of, lots of services and lots of preparation. I was just getting overwhelmed and anxious about all the work that was going to have to take place. And I know I'm not alone. You guys, you guys are right there with me. And so we're in this series because we want to ask God to calm our anxieties. We want to learn how to have peace in Him. One thing that I've learned about anxiety is this, that we like to label it as a physical or a mental problem, but in reality, it's not just a physical or a mental problem. It is deeply spiritual. It is deeply spiritual. And so I don't want you to get me wrong. I will not tell you, stop going to your doctor, stop taking your medications. Don't take it that way. What I'm saying is that our spiritual state affects our physical state and our mental state. And so we need to make sure that our relationship with the Lord is first and primary, and that having a relationship with Jesus Christ, understanding that He paid it all, that, that He is in control, that He reigns and He's overall, um, really does a lot for our souls when it comes to having anxiety, if we can place our trust in Him. And so that's where we're going in these next, next three weeks, as we lay a foundation for that. As I said, we're going into Scripture this morning to the book of 1 Kings. If you've got your Bibles and haven't turned there, I encourage you to jump in there. We are going to stay in this text almost the whole message this morning. And um, we are going to learn from the character of Elijah how to become anxious. Okay? <laughs> if you want to learn how to become anxious, we're going to learn that today from Elijah. And then we're going to learn God's prescription for anxiety that he gave Elijah in this text. So 1 Kings chapter 19, let me give you a little bit of background to this story. If you grew up in Sunday school, you, know, you probably know what's going on. But basically, God had a people, a people whose, whose name was, was Israel. And these were, were, were the children of Abraham. And uh, they had been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. God delivered them from slavery, brought them into the promised land, um, allowed them to, to rule and reign in this land. But, but what happened over generations is that they eventually turned away from God. They started to say, well, we, we want to be like the nations around us. We want to have, have kings just, just, like, just like they do. And so they elected to, to put, put a king on the throne, and, and the process kept on going from there. There were good kings, there were bad kings. But the time period we're in right now was a time period where God had brought in prophets to speak for him to the nation, to the kings, about what God wanted them to do. And so we see that Elijah is a prophet during the reign of a man named King Ahab. And it says in 1 Kings chapter 17, when Ahab comes on the scene, that he did more to provoke the Lord to anger than any king before him. That's pretty serious. Now, we all know Ahab's wife. Her name was Jezebel. And that was part of, part of why he, God was provoked to anger because of Ahab. Jezebel brought in 
her false god, Baal. And Ahab went to work for her, building up temples, building up altars, uh, building up Asherah poles, so that they could, as a nation, establish Baal as their god instead of Yahweh, the true god. And so they took these sacred places that were dedicated to the Lord, and they made them dedicated now to the worship of Baal. And so the whole nation of Israel has just followed after what the direction that their king has taken. And God raises up a prophet by the name of Elijah, a man who loved God, who had seen God's power, who had seen God work, and he called Elijah to go to King Ahab and tell Ahab, hey Ahab, God's not happy, and there is going to be a famine in the land. There's going to be a drought that happens. It's not going to rain until I say so. Now, how do you think that made Ahab feel? Not too good. <laughs> um, and what Elijah ends up doing is for the next three years, he runs as a fugitive. Okay, you probably remember that movie, uh, the Harrison Ford movie in the 90s, The Fugitive, right? That was one of my favorite movies back then. Am I getting anybody? A few of you, okay? You have to think back a little bit farther, okay? But man, that's what that's what. A what, what Elijah had to do over three years. He was running from Ahab, and this was during a time of drought as well, and so God was providing for, Abraham, or for, for, for Elijah through uh, a raven who brought him meat and through a brook that God brought him to to, to provide for him water to drink. And God worked miracle after miracle, even to the point where God helped, helped, helped um, Elijah go to a widow's house they were going to eat their last meal, and God provided for them so that they didn't die. Uh, this widow's son even, even did get sick and die, and God allowed Elijah to be in a place where he was an instrument of God to raise this boy back to life. Pretty incredible stuff. Well, three years had gone by, and God told Elijah, you need to go back to Ahab and tell him that it's going to rain. But first... You need to challenge him to come to a mountain called Mount Carmel and bring all your prophets of Baal with you, and we're going to decide here and now who is the true God. And so they all meet up on Mount Carmel. The prophets of Baal build an altar to, to their god Baal, and they dance and they sing around it. And the, Basically, the challenge was whoever's God answers with fire coming down from heaven and burning up the altar that is who the Lord, that is who the true God is. Well, as I said, they danced around their altar. You know the story. They cut themselves, and, and they're just chanting and singing. They're losing their voices. Oh, Baal! Oh, send fire! Baal! Oh, where are you, Baal? Come send fire! Prove that you are God! And Elijah's over here, and he's just making fun of them. And it's pretty humorous in Scripture when you see it. You can read it for yourself, but basically Elijah's like snickering over there like, Ah, oh, guys, um... Maybe your God went on a vacation. <laughs> maybe, maybe your God is sleeping. Um, maybe he's, I'll put this kindly, relieving himself. <laughs> That's literally what Elijah said. He's just making fun of him because he knows who his God is. Well, the whole day goes by and nothing, nothing happens. You just have all these bloody prophets of Baal sitting there all cut up. And uh, here's Elijah over on this side and he... He takes, takes the altar that had been torn down. He builds it up to the Lord. He puts wood on it. And then he does this crazy thing. He pours all this water over top of it. And uh, just to prove 
that, that it wasn't some kind of freak accident that his fire, his, his, his altar just started burning. Well, he pours all this water over it, and then he prays, God, Lord, would you prove this day that you are Lord in Israel? And all of a sudden, Fire from heaven falls. The whole altar is burned up. And uh, everyone's cheering, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah looks over the prophets of Baal, says, kill him, kill him. And that's what happens. They're all killed. The people pursue him and they kill him. They see that this is a false god. And they're all chanting, the Lord, Yahweh, he is God. Okay. And so there's this huge victory on Mount Carmel. That brings us to chapter 19, where we see Elijah, you should be on cloud nine, but no, where is he? No, he's anxious and he's in despair. First Kings chapter 19, I want you to read it with me. Um, we are going to begin in verse one and uh, work our way through this over the course of this morning. It says that Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Well, it says, And then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. So Jezebel's not too happy, obviously. And she's like, Ahab, since you couldn't get it done, I'm going to get it done by this time tomorrow. Well, Elijah hears about this, and guess what? Even though he had seen the work of God, the power of God, the miracles of God, fire from heaven falling, guess what, what Elijah does? He forgets God and becomes anxious. This morning, what, what I want to do for us is give us four steps to how to become anxious. I call them how to become anxious in four easy steps, okay? And, and these are something that, that I think we can all identify with, and we're going to learn from Elijah's story how we can do that, and I hope, hopefully you can learn from his bad example this morning, okay? So the first thing is this, wear yourself out. Wear yourself out. We just went through all of, all of Elijah's story thus far, and what we can tell is he is completely, utterly worn out. He has ran as far as he could, and then the next day he ran some more. He wore himself out. You may be here today, and you're struggling with anxiety. Let me just ask you, are you worn out? Are you worn out? I mean, just, just seriously ask yourself that. Have you taken on too much? You may be a mom and you've got kids and you're trying to work a full-time job, which is enough, and then you're coming home, you're trying to keep the house clean, trying to put food on the table, you're trying to volunteer at church and in the PTA, uh, you're trying to coach your kids basketball or soccer team, or maybe you're a hockey coach, I don't know, any, any mom hockey coaches there? Okay, I'm a Canadian, so I like hockey. <laughs> all right? But you're trying to do all this stuff and then be a good wife to your husband, and you're just finding that you are completely overwhelmed. You've worn yourself out. That's the first step. Okay, maybe you're a student. You're taking over 20 hours of classes. You're working a full-time job. You are, you're trying to have a social life okay, at the same time, and so you're staying up till all hours of the morning and then getting up early to, to go to class, and uh, man, you're just like uh, feeling overwhelmed with, with where your life is at. 
Let me just tell you, first step to anxiety is just wear yourself out. Second step is this. Shut people out. Shut people out. If we look in 1 Kings 19, verse 3, we just read it. It says, He came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. You see that in the text? Verse 3. Man, he left his servant there. This trusted friend of Elijah that had gone with him all this way, that had ran with him and been there by his side, guess what he did? He said, no, I don't, I don't need you anymore. I just need to be alone. And he shut him out. And we do the same thing, don't we? These people that, that we're supposed to be doing life with when we're going through difficult times, what is it really easy to do? Just shut them off. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to let them know. They don't need to be burdened by what I'm going through. Man, what's, what's this church all about? What are we as a church? And say we're a body. We're to bear each other's burdens, right? When one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. We've got to do that. Don't shut people out. Don't shut people out. Okay? Next thing he did is, is he focused on the negative. It says in, in verse 4, um, if we keep on going. But when he was himself a day's journey into the wilderness, he came and sat under a broom tree, and then he asked that he might die, saying, Is it enough now, O Lord? Take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. <laughs> okay, so he focused on the negative. What was the lie that he was telling himself? I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm no better than my ancestors. Was anybody asking Elijah whether he was better than his ancestors? No, no. Nobody was asking if he was better than his ancestors. He was putting that upon him. And I think we can do the same thing, right? We have this little device in our pocket that we, we, we open up a little blue app, or, or maybe it's an app that has a little, little picture of a camera on it, right? And we just start start scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Guess what? It never ends. Do you ever get to the bottom of your scroll? No. Our thumbs are really good at that, right? Okay, it's really easy to do. But what do we do? We, we compare ourselves to others. We see this person went on a vacation or this person has, their kids are just awesome. They're never bad. They, they have such a nice looking family, a great family photo, and look, oh, they're all at the beach again today. Or they went on another vacation. Or this guy got a promotion. Or, or this family is, is, is over here. And, and we get in that comparison trap and we focus then. We look at ourselves and we're sitting there on the couch scrolling on our phone, right? And we're thinking about ourselves and we're just like, well, what am I doing? I'm a nobody. I don't ever get to do anything fun, right? And we focus on the negative. Right? It's, it's, like, it's like if you had a pipe and you want to just, just, just look through it, and all I could see was what's through here, right? And we got blinders on. Oh, man, I'm never going to be any good in school. I, I, I just, I, I'm never going to be like that other student. I'm never going to be that good in sports. My kids are never going to get the grades that those, those other kids are getting. You know, I, I'm never going to succeed in my, my job like they are. And we focus on the negative, don't we? We do. It's so easy to focus on the negative. It takes some work to focus on the positive. That's what Elijah was doing. Focus on the negative. 
Focus on the negative. You want to be anxious. Last thing he did was this. He forgot God. He forgot God. What had Elijah just gone through? He'd seen God. He'd been with God. He'd experienced God in such a dramatic way, in ways that we would never say would ever happen to us. But yet he forgot God even just a day later. That's it. And don't we have that tendency ourselves? We can look back and we can see, God, you've been faithful. God, you've been good. God, you've provided. you met every single need. I can look back and, God, you've had a perfect plan through all that bad that I've gone through. God, you had a plan for good even when I didn't know it. But we forget the faithfulness of our God. We forget the goodness of our God. And we question, God, are you going to come through? God, are you going to be there? God, are you going to answer? I'm overwhelmed. I don't know where to go. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Maybe, maybe it's your student loans. Maybe it's a mortgage you're dealing with. Maybe, maybe it's your job situation. I don't know what you're dealing with, but it's so easy to forget God. Elijah, a prophet, a man of God did it. And so do we. We forget God. We forget God. If you want to get anxious in four easy steps, wear yourself out, shut people out, focus on the negative, and forget God. Many of us are here today, aren't we? We're right in that place where we've done exactly that. And so why don't we just end this message and um, pray that God will fix us, right? (laughs) I'm done. No, I'm not done. We're going to learn from Elijah today, and we're going to learn what God's prescription for his anxiety was. And I can tell you, we actually live in New Testament times where we have a Savior who has gone to the cross for us. He's taken our sin. He's taken the curse of the fall upon himself, the things that we get very anxious about, and he's dealt with it on the cross. His gospel gives us hope today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's see what God's prescription for anxiety is. If you have your notes, keep on going, keep on going. We're going to keep on reading in this text about where, where God took Elijah. Read on with me in 1 Kings 19, verse 5. We'll start there. It says that, um, so he, he'd gone out into the wilderness. He laid down under a broom tree, and it says, And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there at his head was a cake of bread on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. Okay, what's God's prescription for anxiety? Number one, it says, God says through this angel, eat, rest, and go to the place where I am. Go to the place where he is, where God is, okay? This angel comes to Elijah. He taps him on the shoulder. He's sleeping. He wakes him up. He says, Elijah, you need to eat. You need to eat. And there provides for him food. Okay? Um, Sometimes the most spiritual thing that we can do, get this, I'm telling you, is just to eat a good meal, to actually sit down and take some time to eat. And And then what Elijah did next was, what did he do? He didn't just eat and then, okay, he's on his way. No, what did he do? He laid back down and went, went to sleep. Some of us, we are working so hard that we don't know how drained our, our emotional and mental and physical batteries are. And, and what I'm learning from, from those that are leading at the highest level is that actually, you'll see if you do a study, 
they get more sleep than anybody. You think you'll accomplish more by getting less sleep? Actually, it's, it's the opposite. Okay, I'll tell you that little secret. You gotta get some rest. You gotta sleep. And so, so this concept of rest is actually something that God gave us as a gift, didn't he? It's, in, it's actually in the Ten Commandments. So there's a day that's set apart that's for me. It's a gift for you. Use it on that day. Don't work. Don't labor. Because I gave you an example that out of seven days, one of those should be given to me. And they should be used for restoration, for recharging, to restore your relationship with me and with others, and to just enjoy this life that God has blessed us with. And so, so my concept when it comes to, I call it a Sabbath, is that this is a day where you can do whatever you want, but just don't produce. Don't try to produce something. Don't try to earn something on that day. Give it to God. And if, if giving it to God means you're going out on a, on a ride on your snowmobile, that's what your Sabbath is, okay? If, if it means that, that you're going out for a movie with your family, that's what Sabbath is. Just don't use it to produce. It's a day just, just, just like you give 10% as a, as a tithe to God, trusting God and saying, God, I'm going to give you a first portion of what I've received. That's what the Sabbath is. We give the first day of our week to the Lord, trusting that he will provide for our needs in the next. That's our Sabbath. It's a gift from God. Use it. Lastly, it says that, that this angel told him to go to the place where God is. And that place was Mount Horeb. We've got a different situation, but Mount Horeb today, uh, back then, was the place that was known as the Mount of God. It was where Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments, and there was actually this cloud, a thick cloud and lightning, and they actually put a fence around this whole mountain, lest somebody touch it, because that's where God was. And this was past that time that God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, but it was still known as a holy mountain where, where it was the place where God was. This angel told Elijah, Get there. Go to where God is. And for us, that's the same thing we need to do. We need to go to that place where God is. We need to seek him in his word. We need to sit down with him in prayer and restore our relationship with God. Eat, rest, go to the place where God is. Keep on going. Keep on going. God replaces, number two, God replaces our lies with his truth. We're going to read verse, verse 9 here together. Keep on reading. It says in verse 9 that he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? See, as we can see already, Elijah had started to believe a bunch of lies. He already believed the lie that he was no better than his ancestors. But God wanted him to verbalize these lies that he was believing so that he could speak his truth over Elijah. And so he asked him, what, what are you doing here? And what followed was a response, and it reveals where Elijah was. Okay, keep on reading. He said, verse 10, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. True, you have been. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and they killed your prophets with a sword. Also true. True. And even I, I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. False. False. 
What God wanted Elijah to do was verbalize, again, verbalize these lies that he was believing so that he could speak his truth over him. And what God is going to do a few verses later is he's going to reveal to Elijah, Elijah, you are not the only one left. The truth is, there's over 7,000 people that have never bowed their knee to the, to the false god Baal. They are still living. Actually, actually, one of, one of Ahab's closest trusted people was hiding them in caves. That's actually what happened. All these people had been hidden, and they had not bowed their knee to Baal. God was just waiting to reveal them. You know, for us, we need to be careful that we don't fall into this rut like Elijah did of self-pity and believe, believe the lies. What, what Scripture says is that we need to have the truth spoken us, spoken over us over and over again. Now, what, what, what Jesus actually said is that your word, your word is truth. And he, he asked that his word would sanctify us by the truth. It's so important as followers of Jesus that we go to his word to reveal the lies that we're telling ourselves. And we, we memorize it, we take it in, and then we live it out. We need to seek God's truth in our lives. Not only just personally, but about who God is. We need to have a correct understanding of who God is. When we see God for who he is, then we see ourselves for who we are. We see our sinful state and we see Jesus who is our savior who has cast our sin as far as the east is from the west when we trust in him. So he replaces our lies with his truth. Let me just ask you, what lies, what lies are you telling yourself? What lies are you telling yourself? Maybe take some time this week and do an inventory of some lies that you may be telling yourself and use that time then to speak the truth of God over those lies. Um, tell you an exercise that I did. Um, I have been really impacted by the work of Craig Rochelle when it comes to um, what he calls words to live by. He, he decided that I need to stop speaking lies. I need to actually do the opposite. I need to speak the truth of God over my life each day. And so what, what I did is I, I took that concept and I developed uh, something that I, that I read periodically to just remind me of, of who I am in Christ and, and the truth about myself. And I, I just want to read it, a little bit of it for you. It may be helpful if you want to do the same. But I, I've, I've categorized these, these statements in a few different ways, and these are just, just affirmations, truth statements that, that I can tell myself and that you can tell yourself from the Word of God. Personally, I need to tell myself, I am not my own, but I belong to God. Everything hinges upon that. I am not my own, but I belong to God. I am a steward. He is the owner. I devote my time, talent, and treasure to God's mission. That's to make disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. I don't follow dreams. I follow Jesus. His dreams follow me. I'm a man of integrity in my personal and private life. I am honest, even when it's not to my advantage. I renew my mind daily with the word of God. My aim is to please God rather than men. I live with eternity in mind by living each day as if it was my last. I need to work on that one. <laughs> About my family, I say this. I love my wife 
and my kids unconditionally and sacrificially as Christ. I'm unique. God has given me a specific mission for my life. My life will not be replicated, repeated, or replaced. And that's the same thing for you. I am proactive within my circle of influence. I am responsible, response-able. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I battle against the sins of deceit and lust, and I starve them. I've been called to imitate obedience and submission to my creator. I've been called to reach, teach, and release followers of Jesus into this world. Professionally, I begin with everything, everything with the end in mind. I do not live for position, but for purpose. I choose curiosity over complacency. I am innovative, driven, and focused. I am a leader, and I'm a pastor. But I'm not the only leader and the only pastor. My primary role is to develop other leaders and equip the saints for works of ministry. My self-worth is not determined by validation from others. That seat is taken. I am saved to be, I'm saved to serve, not to be seen. I do not treat disappointments as disasters, listen to this, but as dimensions of development. I know the dream is in the duty. The dream is duty. When I think about what's, what's ahead of me, it involves duty. It involves the daily grind. The dream is in the duty. Human measurements and metrics do not determine my self-worth. I choose what is right over what is convenient. My adequacy comes not from my personality, my skills, my experience, or my knowledge, but from a relationship of walking daily with Christ. I benefit others by my association with Jesus. And lastly, John 15, 5, if you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I hope that's helpful to you. It's helpful to me. It really is. And these affirmations have helped me to continue to speak truth over my life with the word of God coming in every single day with these statements about who I am, my identity in Jesus Christ. My life is for him. It's not my own. I belong to God. All these things. So God replaces our lives with this truth. That's what he was trying to do with Elijah. Keep on going. Number three. Number three, are you ready? God speaks in a whisper. God speaks in a whisper. First Kings 19, we're going to read just 11 and 12. Elijah is up on this mountain. He's climbed all the way up to the Mount of God. He, God is asking him, you know, what, what are you doing here? He's complaining. And something happens. 11, verse 11. And he said, go out. This is God speaking. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. 
You know, I believe that when we are lowest, God seems to be the farthest away. When we're lowest, God seems to be the farthest away. But it is actually when God seems to be quiet that he is closest. Let me just ask, um, I don't know where my wife is. Is she here? Come on up. This would be weird to illustrate with anybody else, okay? (laughs) Thank you for coming up and helping me with this. God spoke to Elijah in a whisper. When we think that God is far away, um, we, we, we think that he's quiet. We think he's far away. It's actually... When, he, when he's quietest, when he's closest. The devil loves to scream and yell his words of accusation. You will never be enough. You'll always be a failure. You will always struggle with your sin. You will never be able to serve me fully. You will always be weighed down with, with those sins that you battle. You will never get there. But God, on the other hand, when he's close, he says, I'm enough. I'm with you. I will never leave you. I died for you. You're my child. I am. The soft whisper of God. We need to, gotta listen. Gotta listen. Thank you. Thank you. God speaks in a whisper. He speaks in a whisper. Sometimes we just need to get quiet enough, cut the noise out to listen to our God whispering. We need to hear his truth spoken over our life, who we are in him. So far, so far, how do we, how do we defeat anxiety? God's prescription. Eat, rest, go to the place where he is. God, God um, replaces our lives with his truth. God speaks in a whisper. I love this last one. We're going to end with this. God gives us something to do. God gives us something to do. You know what the opposite of anxiety is? Some of you are going to say, peace, right? And I would kind of agree. But actually, the opposite of anxiety, I would say, is purpose. Purpose. The opposite of anxiety is purpose. Some of us, we need a purpose to live for, right? And God gives Elijah that purpose. So let's just read these verses. I know we're, we're running out of time this morning, but man, if you can stick with me, here we go, okay? Verse 15 and 16 says this. Um, and the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, we know him, the son of Shaphat, uh, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. Let me just sum up everything that he just said to Elijah. He said, Elijah, go back and do what prophets do. Go back and do what prophets do. Let me just ask you this. Who are you? What do you do? What's God given you to do? Are you a mother? Go back and do what mothers do. Are you a father? Go back and do what fathers do. Are you a grandparent? We saw a beautiful example of grandparents that are loving their grandkids this morning and parents that are loving their kids. That's beautiful. Go back and do what grandpa and grandma does. 
Love your grandkids. Love your kids. Pray for them. Are, are you a business owner? Go back and to carry out a God-honoring business. Are you an entrepreneur? Do you like to start things? Are you good at that? Go back and start something. Are you a leader? Lead. Go back and do what prophets do. See, the opposite of anxiety is not just peace. It's purpose. It's purpose. Some of us, we need to get with God and discover the unique purpose that God has placed on our life. He's got a call on each one of us. Your life will not be repeated or replaced. God has called you to do something. Serve him well. Serve him well as an instrument of his glory. So God gives Elijah something to do. And lastly, let me just end with this. God gave Elijah a gift. You may be wondering why we titled our series what we did. It's because of this. Because of this. You know what Elijah was so anxious about? What was he anxious about? Jezebel was going to kill him. By this time tomorrow, you are going to be a dead man, Elijah said, uh, Jezebel said. But you know the gift that God gave Elijah? If you keep on reading, it's not in chapter 19, it's a little bit farther on. When you keep on reading, you see that what Elijah was so anxious about never even took place. It never took place. What happened? He's one of two people that we, we, we know never died. He was taken up. A chariot came, swooped down, picked him up, and brought him right up to heaven. That's what scripture says. A thing that he was so anxious about never even took place. And let me just tell you this. That thing that you might be anxious about, you may be so bent out of shape about. Today, I think, to be honest, what's every news channel have on, their, on the screens right now? The coronavirus, okay? Who's, who's a little bit anxious? Who's a little, it's okay. You can be a little anxious about that. Who's anxious about it? Nobody wants to admit it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Maybe we'll, we will be next week. <laughs> but you know that thing that we may be all just anxious about? It may never take place. But you know what? I'm not telling you that that thing is never going to take place because the reality is, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What we may be the most anxious about may take place. And because of that, we know that Jesus actually has overcome it and we can trust in him. And so I just want to impart to you how you can have peace in anxiety. Obviously, follow all these things that, that God did for Elijah. Listen, listen for God's whisper. Go back and do what prophets do. Replace your lies, the lies that you're believing with this truth. Eat, rest, go to the place where God is, all those things. But more than anything, it starts with this. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you will live a life of anxiety, and you should live a life of anxiety. What scripture teaches us is that all of us have sinned, and the just penalty from God is that our sin deserves punishment. That's the reality of our life. I, I know that I'm probably preaching mostly to the choir here, but the reality is, is we need to receive it and we need to take it for ourselves and trust in our Savior who took our place. It says that, that in Scripture, while we were still sinners, while we were still living in our sin, Christ died for us. The reality is, if you know Jesus, that thing that we should all be anxious about, the wrath, the punishment of God, 
we don't have to experience because God in Christ has paid for our sin through Jesus on the cross. And you can receive him today by saying, Lord Jesus, would you save me? Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? I repent of my sins and I want to be your child. And when that happens, let me just encourage you with this one last verse here. When that happens, when you trust in him, you can say, Jesus, you are my peace. You are my peace. I don't have to be anxious. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That wall of hostility that keeps us from a perfect, intimate relationship with God, Jesus took upon himself. He bore the weight of our sin on the cross. And so we can literally say, I am anxious for nothing. God, you paid it all. I trust in you. We're going to pray a second, and then the worship team is going to come up. And they've got a song that's just been prepared just for this moment right now. And the lyrics go like this. When I say Jesus, the very mention shatters the darkness and calms my soul. When I say Jesus, even, get this, a whisper breaks through my doubting till all my fear is gone. When I say Jesus, Jesus, we love you. Father, we worship you today and thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has taken the just wrath of God on our behalf and given us hope and assurance in this life. Father, we know that there's, there's some here that, that need to do some work with you, Lord. They're anxious and they don't know why. They've been struggling. God, first, I just pray, God, that they'd reach out to you and say, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? You save me. I repent of my sins and I trust Jesus in the work of your cross. Would you make me your child today? Thank you, God. Lord, for those of us that are here that, that just, even though we know you, God, we doubt, we forget, just like Elijah. God, help us to eat, rest, Go to the place where you are. Replace these lies with your truth. To go to the place where you are, Father. To hear you speak in that whisper. And God, that we would go back and do what prophets do. God, that we would be used by you in a mighty way for the purpose that you've given us. We love you, God. And we thank you that we have hope today in you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with us as we sing this closing song?